Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, 1 Thessalonians. We're in a series entitled, More. Jesus from beginning to end. And what we're saying throughout this series is just simply this. To know God is to long for more Jesus. And we've looked at this uh, pathway of what Paul gives to us in chapters 1 and 2. Or excuse me, chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. He talked about, first of all, what it is that God does to work and, and bring more. And then the second part of chapter 1, he talked to us about how the gospel continues that work of God and brings more into our life. More God, more love, more joy, more peace, more faith, and more hope. Well, today as we move into chapter 2, I want us to really begin to understand and unpack what is more. What is more? I mean, if I say more, there's some kind of comparative analysis or evaluation that needs to take place, right? So what are we talking about when we say more? What, what is God bringing more of? Some of you are going, yeah, yeah, I want to make sure I want it before I get it, right? You want it. You know you do. What is more? You know, sometimes in the Christian life, how you identify and how you measure more can seem somewhat subjective, right? Am I growing? Am I not growing? Am I more mature in the likeness of Christ today than I was a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, five years ago? Sometimes it can be hard to define and, and even hard to understand. But how one understands their relationship with God, it, it, it can be, and, and, and even spiritual growth, doesn't have to be elusive or, or, or frustrating. God, God doesn't want you to be frustrated with trying to understand what it means to live in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. I often talk to people who are struggling with a, with a situation or with a decision or even a circumstance. And so often they immediately begin to question their relationship with God. Maybe you've sensed this before. God, if, if I were okay with you, why am I not okay here and now? If we're good, God, why are things not all good here, right? I mean, the biggest questions of life stem from these kinds of situations and circumstances. Uh, we, we, we wonder, what is it that I need to do to grow as a Christian? Or what is it I need to believe about what God is saying to me? And, and so as they come to me, typically they come to inform me of their decision and they explain their reason for their decision so often in this way. I just feel like, I just feel like. You see, friends, many people, in my experience, make most spiritual decisions that significantly affect the whole of their life simply by nothing more than a feeling. That seems like a lot of influence on things that we all know can change, like Missouri weather right? Have you ever been guilty of making a decision, a spiritual decision or a spiritual discernment based purely on emotion or feeling alone where you kind of reach the point where you go, I just don't care anymore. I'm going to do this and I'll deal with it. 
Sure we have. I'm not asking for hands. I'm just saying we get that because we've been there. Emotions and feelings alone are never spiritual markers for discernment. Never. But spiritual thermometers that indicate for us the need for discernment. Emotions and feeling alone are never spiritual markers, but they are spiritual thermometers that indicate the need for discernment in our life. Friends, God wants you to know by godly discernment what it is that more means for your life, what he has for you. And, and, and we looked at how he's worked. We've looked at this pattern of the gospel and how the gospel works not only in people but among people and how we receive God's work to, to cultivate more in our life through that faithful gospel testimony. But I want to begin today and take the next several weeks to talk about what is more. What is more? And I want us to look at what God did among the Thessalonians. And I want us to understand how we can live for the more that God wants to bring to our lives through the gospel. Listen, listen to this big idea as I cover over several weeks what I'm going to call trajectories of grace that evidence God's work for more in our life. But listen to this big idea first of all. Grace from God produces evidence within our life of God's more as we live by faith to follow Jesus. Yes, the grace of God, which so often we leave in the realm of subjectivity or nebulousness, we, we, we so often fail to give grace like, like handles that we can grab hold of. And I don't want to reduce grace, but I do want to explain it in such a way that we can understand what God has done for us so we can know what God is doing in us and all around us. For grace produces evidence of God's more in a person's life as they live by faith to follow Jesus. And as I said, throughout chapter 2 and 3, we're going to look at five trajectories Five trajectories that evidence the grace of God for more in your life. Now, you know what a trajectory is, right? A trajectory is simply the path that something travels from its origin to its destination. From where you first met God in Jesus Christ to where you will live with him forever in eternity. And today we're going to unpack trajectory number one. And we're going to learn this, that God nurtures us in his love by the gospel for more in all of life. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me read the first eight verses for us and then we'll continue. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know... We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, 
but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Five gospel trajectories that evidence God's grace in your life for his more, for his more. Trajectory number one that we'll look at today begins with a humble conviction that produces a deep affection. A humble conviction that produces deep affection. The Christian faith, friends, rests in the truth of God anchored deeply in our lives that forms within us convictions for how we live. But hear me, this is something the Christian world, especially in the social media realm, could take good counsel on. Strong conviction is not the end goal of our faith. The gospel is far more powerful and far more comprehensive than only intellectual conviction. When we trust in Jesus, the truth of God's word resonates within to form humble convictions that when nurtured within us, produce deep and abiding, soul-satisfying affections for the one in whom we believe and for those to whom he has sent us. This is what Paul is explaining for us today. Consider how it is that Paul traces this first trajectory from a humble conviction to a deep affection. Paul begins by telling them that, that he was led by faith to follow the Lord in obedience on mission. He, he says, you know how we came to you. There was a humble conviction of, of God's call upon his life. We know that God, in the midst of a local church congregation, said to Paul, go. And Paul took his companions, Timothy and Titus and Silas, and they began to go from one region to the next. And they would go here, and God would say, no, not here. Keep going. And they would go there. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 16 through Acts chapter 18, we begin to see where Paul came to the gateway to the western civilization as we know it today and in Greece and Macedonia he began to preach the gospel and with every city he stopped great opposition arose so great suffering followed him quickly they were met with hard circumstances and difficult situations and let me tell you something difficult situations and hard circumstances are sure to make you seriously rethink the work in which you have given yourself especially when the decision to engage that work is the very thing that's producing those hard situations but god's word by his holy spirit and the power of the gospel paul says assured him of this 
that regardless of the response and regardless of the circumstances, their labors were not in vain. So, they humbled themselves to obey and their convictions to serve God deepened within them, even in the midst of prison, in the midst of accusations that were unfair, harsh circumstances that were propagated against them, threats against their life, even physical abuse against them. That could not stop the deep conviction and confidence in God for all that they were doing. But here's what Paul did say. He said, you know, in the midst of all of that suffering, it led us to ask, maybe our motives were impure in coming. Maybe the reason we're here is some other reason than God. You know, that's what happens. Suffering has a way of making us not just ask questions, but asking hard questions. And so they began to assess their own motives. And in this assessment, they concluded that they were right, not because they were being belligerent and hardened to not care what people thought or not care how people responded to them, but instead they turned to God who tested our hearts and they said God are we are we wrong in what we've heard from you and we're are we wrong in what we're doing for you and he says this they they can they were convinced that they were right because there was no error in their way there was no impurity in their motive and there was no uh, desire to deceive or, or to harm people they they were coming out of love And when they shared the gospel, they shared a message that they knew to be true, even though many people called it something other. They shared with no desire nor malicious intent for the people. They didn't desire to harm them, but they wanted to show them the love of God. And so by this process, through the suffering and the asking of hard questions, they turned to God who tests the hearts, Paul says. And they found that their motives were pure, and their methods or their practices were right. You see, humility led them not to simply dismiss the questions. I don't care what people think. I don't care how people respond. I don't care if they know how wrong they are or not. I'm going to keep showing them how right I am. These are not the things that they did. They didn't dismiss their questions. Rather, they accepted them and they used them as assessment. They looked at the difficulty and the response as an indicator to assess their own hearts instead of just a validation to dismiss the people. And that's what they did. They assessed their hearts. They assessed their attitudes. They assessed their motivations. They assessed and evaluated their practices. And they did this by looking to the one who tests the heart. You see, that's what Paul says. Our aim was not to please man. We were here to please God. And friends, if you're here to please people, it's going to be really hard to continue when opposition and hardship, accusation and oppression arises. But when you're there to please God, God does this. He affirms and confirms what He is doing in you by showing you what He is doing through you. And what did Paul say? We realize this, that we came to you as those who were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Friends, a humble conviction led them 
by right motivation that brought clearer understanding of God's call upon their life. And remembering God's call affirmed their practice of sharing the gospel. They, they didn't use words of flattery. That they weren't just, uh, you know, uh, uh, ripping and rhyming and just appeasing people by the way that they spoke. So that in some way maybe they could stroke their own egos or just impress or entertain the people. They didn't try to manipulate uh, or coerce people into some kind of a decision by the way they worked the crowd or the room. They weren't there for greedy gain. They weren't there for personal profit. And they weren't there to build their own platform or fame. But Paul did say this, we didn't even demand what was rightfully ours as apostles. We, we demanded no compensation for rightful labor. Rather, we wanted to avoid any hint of wrong motive or accusation from our practices. You see, their actions confirmed not by response, but by faithful practices representing the messenger in the way that they delivered the message that God could affirm them with the gospel message. And he said, when our motives were confirmed and our practices were as well, they held a steady compassion in their work. Look with me at verse 7. Like a nursing mother. Now, I've never been one. So I'm going to have to depend upon what I've read and understood in passing about this. But here's what I believe to be true about a nursing mother. She doesn't force anything on the baby. Rather, she responds to the baby by satisfying its cries and its needs with goodness. The baby cries, often incessantly. I do know about that. But the mother looks beyond, oh, looks beyond that screaming, ear-piercing, brain-splitting, not that it's ever bothered me, I'm just saying. The mother looks beyond that, and, and, and she looks beyond the chaos that's ensuing, and she goes, they're hungry. I don't get that kind of treatment when I'm hungry and act like that, right? She caresses the baby and brings it near to satisfy its hunger, to, to calm its anxieties, to satisfy its fears. Even when it's a dirty diaper that's disrupting the whole room, the mother still caresses the baby closely and goes, Oh, that'll end soon. But for a nursing mom, she caresses the baby to comfort it and to clean it up and to restore it. You see, in response, um, a mother nurtures love in order to build intimacy and bonding with the baby and shows the faithfulness of a mother's love in doing that. And, and what Paul says is that every time opposition or chaos uh, ensued and accusation, accusations flew, there was an intentional decision that they made not to get distracted by the situation at hand 
hand, but to look through that with a steady compassion, knowing that God had sent them, knowing that their motives were pure, understanding that their practices were right. They were able to exercise a steady compassion of faithfulness that only can be demonstrated by God himself to see through the immediate situation to the true need that the outcry was coming from. They labored with a steady compassion that nurtured people through their great spiritual need to believe in one who was good and who would meet their need. God's been a good nurturing, uh, like a good nurturing mother to us, has he not? I can't tell you how many times that I've whined and griped and moaned and blamed it all on him. And that's as an adult. But so often, he just sees right through that. And he speaks to me at the very point of my need that's originating all of that chaos in me. And Paul says that, that's what we did when we were convicted deeply that God wanted to use us here. Finally, Paul says this, that a deep love for the Thessalonians produced a desire for them as a people. Now remember, they didn't know these people before arriving there. And they were there, not there a long time. But Paul says very quickly, God put within them a desirous affection for them. You see, obedience to the Lord led them to an unknown place with an unknown people, but gave them a deep desire to share with them, Paul says, their very lives. Friends, look at where they have traveled. For here we see the first trajectory of grace that evidences God's work through the gospel for more. There's this humble conviction in Jesus that led to test their heart and their motives, but confirmed in them a clear understanding of their call. And so they remained steadfast in their compassion to minister the gospel. And through the midst of all of their own suffering, a deep love for God began to rise up within them and to demonstrate it by a desirous affection for the very people that were many of them rejecting them but to whom God had sent them to minister. God's love in you, friends, always decreases and weakens when you let the things of this world stop you from serving Jesus. But God's love to you, God's love in you, and God's love through you always deepens and strengthens when you let the gospel of Jesus Christ take deeper hold in you that it may take a greater hold through you in your witness and in your Labors. This first trajectory that we see today moves us from a humble conviction to a desirous affection. And it's evidencing the work of God by His grace within us. For the humble conviction in Jesus is always about producing an all-consuming love, first of all for Him, but also for other 
people that he has led us to. As we look at this first trajectory, I want to lead you through some of the very things that Paul has talked about to consider how some of these things you've experienced in your own life. And I want to propose to you today four questions to help you evaluate this first trajectory of the gospel and how well it is taking root in you and growing God's grace and God's love, how evident it is in you. Question number one, I want to ask you today, do you hold a humble conviction to serve the Lord with your life? I begin here, friends, because every Christian should hold this conviction to serve Jesus. When God saves you, he sends you. When God redeems you, he commissions you. And what God has put in you, he puts on you in your life. There is no Christianity absent of the conviction to serve the name and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And if your conviction or rather your relationship is absent of that conviction. What you have, friends, is some false substitute for true Christianity. It's not about a decision alone. But in that decision that brings a conviction for your life that determines every part of it. All of our service will not be the same, but our call to serve remains. A conviction to serve Jesus demonstrates our love for him, and it grows his love for us in us. But conviction must be held humbly in order to trust his work in us as we serve him. Our conviction to serve Jesus must be held in what I would encourage you to understand as a gospel humility. In other words, a humility that is fueled by the reality of what Jesus has done for you, not fueled by what you can do for Jesus. So a gospel humility that will, that will soften us and not allow us to be hardened to the things of this world or to other people. Because if we don't hold our conviction with a gospel humility, that which washes over us intellectually in our understanding and even in our study of the Bible will only seek to harden us to serve self with Christianity and not to serve Jesus or those who are far from him in the world. And the best way we'll know what it's doing to us is how we respond in suffering, in hardship, in opposition, in accusation, and when these things arise in our life. Do you hold a humble conviction to serve the Lord with your life that is fueled by the gospel of Jesus Christ? The second question that I would ask you this morning is this. How do you respond to suffering, to difficulties, to opposition and challenges? 
Don't get upset with me. But I would ask you, do you complain? Do you blame? Do you use those things as an excuse to stop obeying, to stop serving until things get right? I can't continue. Does the hardship that comes with following Jesus cause you to justify cutting corners or creating shortcuts in obedience to him instead of following the path that he has set forth for you in his word? Hear me, friends. Complaining never comforts the complainer. Never but we think it does when we're practicing that. Blaming never casts the guilt off of the one doing the blaming. Excusing never cleanses the shame from us. And cutting corners and creating shortcuts to our obedience only mislead us to ultimately deceive us. Friends, this... This is the why in your spiritual road. This is where you have a decision to make, not only about who you will follow, but what will you put your faith in? Who will you rest in? This why in the spiritual road is where what really rules you rises up within you. And this is where gospel fueled humility leads you to humble yourself and to trust or or false humility will lead you to a false idol a false hope that lies to you to harden you so that you can react and guard yourself you see friends when hardship threatens when difficulty comes Christians learn to humble themselves under God's mighty hand because of the hope that we have in the gospel. And when we do this, we look to and we listen for the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Where do I go in this situation? Where do I go in this decision? We must look to the only one that we're listening to and hearkening our lives unto the good shepherd that leads us even if it's into the valley of the shadow of death that we must traverse. We look to and listen for the good shepherd to let the truth of the convictions of the truth of God's word that we've been holding now to begin to hold us. To begin to hold us. Every moment of suffering, every point of of opposition, every detail of hardship in your life, Christian, is an opportunity for you to remember the gospel and look to Jesus as the good shepherd who loves you and who faithfully leads you. Yea, who nurtures the love of God ever more deeply in you to convince you that regardless of what need you feel, regardless of what situation by which you are threatened, you will always remember the love that satisfies, that protects, that guides, that guards in all times and all places. 
complain, blame, and excuse. Cut corners, create shortcuts. They only serve to undercut the gospel within us. If you think, God, I've got a better way to get to the gospel. Friends, I want you to know the road to the cross has no shortcut. When God tests the heart, he always gives more strength, more conviction in our calling and in our relationship with Jesus to sustain us through whatever he is leading us in and to teach us that he and he alone is the source for all that is good in this life. When hardship and challenges arise, turn to Jesus to test your heart that he might affirm your call in life. Let the psalmist guide your prayer. Search me, O God, Psalm 139 says, verse 23. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, when these situations arise, when hardship comes, when opposition uh, 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 threatens, when, when, when circumstances don't go your way, instead of immediately beginning to question God, instead of immediately beginning to go into self-defense mode, go into humility mode and let the gospel of Jesus Christ speak to you and comfort you and guide you where its power is most potent for you. To see Christ in your place and you in his life. God works in every situation through the gospel to purge sin from us and to fill us with his righteousness, to more fully align our experience in this life. I have come, John says, to give you life and to give it to the full. God's not taking something from you that you would do better to have. He's removing everything in you that is thwarting what he has for you. God's testing is an invitation to rest in him, to test your heart motivations and your life practices, even if the test seems to come from somewhere other than God. God is still faithful to his children. He will not be otherwise. He's never been. He can purge us of sin and fill us with more righteousness. How are you responding to hardship, to opposition and suffering in your life? Question three, are you holding to Jesus and to his call on your life to show a steadied compassion in obeying him and serving his causes. Friends, a faithful gospel witness is often met by initial opposition, usually even rejection. But that's never a reason to stop serving Jesus. Let your calling lead you to look past 
any negative reactions and look into the real need of people that God, the one who created us, says we all have. You see, Christians serve the gospel for life transformation and we can only remain in faithful gospel service as that transformation is taking hold within us. As we remain steadfast in serving the gospel and in humbling ourselves before Christ in considering our own heart motivations and let the Spirit of God test us by the Word of God through the work of God. We can understand God's call upon our life. We can be affirmed in that, approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. We can see that the situations that surround us do not carry greater work than the one who is within us and we can remain steadfast in serving Him trusting and knowing that Jesus is working in our hearts even as he works in the hearts of those to whom we are serving his purpose. And what you will find is he is working. He's working for more in you. For what begins as a humble conviction when it is pressed through the gospel becomes a full desirous affection for him and for those to whom he sends you. Question number four, is there a growing love for Jesus in every area of your life through serving him? Or does serving only seem to exhaust, to frustrate, and cause you to question him? Love that strengthens has endured testing that it might penetrate more deeply into our heart and life. Friends, we know this. Love that quickly rises fades faster than it came up. An all-consuming love for God of our heart, of our soul, of our mind and our strength does not just appear overnight but grows as the gospel is nurtured within our life. And conflict and opposition that confronts us in our obedience is never a reason to withdraw, but an opportunity to press in and to press on in our faith. And the assurance of the Holy Spirit's work in comforting us and in counseling us through God's word, it deepens our own conviction that Jesus himself is working even when it may feel like we are utterly failing. And as we hold to the call Jesus gives us, to be held by the truths of his word that we have come to know. He fills us with his incomparable and irreplaceable love in an ever-increasing manner and in an ever-expanding measure. This, friends, when the love of God fills us in the midst of our suffering and in our hardship, in our testing and in our trials, we can know that God is giving more. More. You want to know what more is for you? It's when a humble conviction is producing a deepening affection for Jesus Christ, for his people, And for those to whom he has sent you. God is nurturing in us a love by the gospel for more in all of our life. Are you placing yourself in his care? The hands of the good shepherd 
to speak to you, to lead you, to purge sin from you, to pour his love and righteousness into you, to receive the more that he has for you. Let's pray.